0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's dive in now to our, uh, our text today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew 6. We're going to be talking about spiritual vision today. And if you don't have your Bible, we got Bibles in the back. Feel free to stand up, grab one of those, take that home with you. And as you turn there, let me review We are continuing our our verse-by-verse study of Matthew's gospel today, and we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for the past eight months. Sermon on the Mount is a sermon by Jesus himself, and the reason that we study God's word so slowly, verse-by-verse, is so that we can experience God in his richness and his fullness. See, it's out of God's word that he reveals who he is to us. We don't have to guess who God is or what He's like because the Scriptures proclaim the glory of God. The Bible tells us about God and His character, and it is our job as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, to to use a theological term, a theological term, to exegete. Right? Think think of excavate. We want to excavate the Word of God to understand it. So we we dig deep into the Word of God, just as a man digs deep for buried treasure. And the Lord teaches us that it's this knowledge of God that turns into a relationship with God. This relationship allows us to experience God. And out of that experience comes this inevitable reality that we, we can't keep all this to ourselves. God has changed us. He changes us slowly over time, doesn't he? And uh, we want to share that. We want to share this wonderful message with with others. We want to share the the promise of eternal life. We want to provide hope to the hopeless here in the Verde Valley. We also want to share the truth, the truth that that this is not our best life now. That is, if they believe in, in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we like to say it here, we like to say it this way here at River, that we experience God verse by verse so that we can share Jesus day by day. And last Sunday, we experienced God by learning how to handle our possessions and our money. It was really part one of of three. Uh, The Lord Jesus calls these things treasures, our money and our possessions. These are treasures on earth. And we had quite a few several points. Let me review because all of this stuff leads into today's text. Key point number one, we talked about hoarding. And we said that hoarding is a sin against God because we don't trust God. We tend to hoard things because we believe it's every man for himself, right? Survival of the fittest. Key point number two... We learn that to save and spend everything that we earn only on ourselves that is not only unwise but that is it's sinful as well. We define what a sinful treasure is. A sinful treasure is defined as anything in this world that is everything to you. Now please don't misunderstand, key point number 4, it's not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. Big difference there. As Christians, we're stewards of these possessions. Um, Easy come and easy go, right? We're we're to let these things go and and give things away, and we'll learn more about that today. We learn that contentment is a a big uh, core value with, with handling our possessions. Uh, contentment is a, is a key core value here. And really the tragedy in not learning contentment is key point number six, which is this. What happens to our treasure, it happens to us. And the reason for that, number seven, is that our, our treasures and our desires, Scripture says our hearts, they're, they're, e- they're either both going to be earthly or both heavenly. So it's impossible to say one thing and act contrary to your belief system for an extended period of time. Now, we can do that temporarily, but we can't keep it up for long. And then we had a pop quiz, and the question was this, how do we know if our treasures are earthly or heavenly? How do we know? Key point number eight, if you want to know where your heart is, if your heart is in heaven, on the Earth, or if your heart is in heaven, follow your calendar and follow your money. Our two most significant resources bear fruit where our treasure lie. So t- today, what Jesus does he 's going to expound on, on where we left off last week. We learned that where our earthly treasure is, our hearts, our desires are going to be with that treasure. so in other words, our treasures are our desires, our motives, our agendas, those things are so intertwined, they are inseparable. Why is that? And here's the other question. Can you undo what has already been tied together? What's the key to changing our minds towards money and possessions? How do we get this heavenly mindset? And if God has convicted us of our earthly treasures here, How do we start letting this stuff go? How do we become more heavenly minded when it comes to money and possessions and all this earthly stuff? Well, let's find out if you would please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Just as we raised our voices in our singing, let's raise our voices here as we read the word of God together starting in verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes, please open our eyes, Lord, so that we can contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. Lord, we do pray that you would open our eyes this morning as we're going to be talking about spiritual vision and spiritual provision. Lord, we do want to dig deep into these passages. We want to to find the buried treasure that is there so that we can learn these wondrous things, and not only that, but to apply them to our lives as well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. All right, let's look here at verse 21 and 22. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we talked about that last week, and then Jesus says in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Notice how Jesus moves his illustration about treasures, money, possessions. He moves it from our hearts to our eyes. And to understand this transition, we have to understand two things. First, the, the contrast between light and darkness, and also secondly, the comparison of our eyes and our hearts. So let's start with, our, with light and darkness here. Let's spend some time on this. The comparison and, and contrast of light and darkness, it begins in the creation story. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and it was empty. We got darkness It covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of almighty God. He was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said this, he said, let there be light. And guess what? There's light. I love that. God said it, bam. God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night, there was evening, and then there was morning, one day. So from the beginning of creation here, we see the physical attributes of light and darkness. If we're going to define it, we would say that physical light is the, it's the visual sensation that, that contrasts darkness, right? Darkness is simply the absence of light. So apart from the physical dimensions here, Scripture uses light and darkness to illustrate our human emotions. We see this in Job's story. Give you some background here. God allowed Satan to take away everything from Job, his home, his kids, his wealth, his, his, his health is starting. That's now in question. So Job, obviously, he gets depressed. Wouldn't you? He starts to tell his friends he's thinking about suicide. Because because Job is mad at God. He's mad at him. He says this. He says, Why did you, why did you, God, why did you bring me out of the womb? I I should have died. I, I should have never been seen. Listen to this. I wish I had never existed, but had been carried from the womb to the grave. Does that sound like depression to you? Yeah. He says, Are my days not few? In other words, isn't my life almost over? I'm getting ready to die, God. I want to die. He says, Stop it. You stop it, God. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone for a little bit so that I can smile before I go to a land of darkness and gloom where I'm never going to return. Wow. It's a land of blackness, like the deepest darkness. It's gloomy, it's chaotic, where even the light, listen to this, even the light is like the darkness. The Psalms, they also emphasize the difference between light and dark. Psalm 1828, Lord, you you light my lamp. My God illuminates my dark. Psalm 112.4, light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is righteous. King David uses light and darkness as an example of God's omnipresence. Psalm 139, he says, God, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, guess what? You're there. Wow. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I make my bed in hell, you're there too, because that's where your justice is. If I live at the Eastern horizon or settle on the, on the Western limits from East to West, it doesn't matter. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light around me will be night. No, it's not true. Because even the darkness is not dark to you. (laughs) The night shines like the day. Darkness and light, they are the same to you. King David's son, King Solomon. He learned a few things from his father. Solomon compares wisdom and and foolishness to light and darkness. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I realize that there's an advantage to wisdom over folly or foolishness, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool, he walks around in the darkness. Scripture also uses light and darkness as illustrations for morality. The prophet Isaiah says this. He says, whoa, whoa. Whenever a prophet says, whoa. Not good, not good, pay attention. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Those who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise for doing this and they judge themselves clever." They think they're smart. We've got Yahweh God. Yahweh God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He even prophesies the birth of Christ using the pictures of light and darkness in Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet says, the people walk around in darkness, and yet they've seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Speaking through Isaiah once again, God proclaims his magnificence and his awesome creative power. Look at this. Isaiah 45, 7. God says this. He says, hey guys, I'm the one that forms light. I'm the one that creates darkness. I make success and I create disaster. I am the Lord who does All of these things. That verse will mess with your theology. (laughs) Will it not? Yes, it will. In the same way, the New Testament continues the Old Testament conversation. John's gospel, he clearly refers to the Genesis account that we just read. John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him, not not one thing was created that has been created. Here we go. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light, the light of Jesus, it shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Many of us are familiar with John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we all love that verse. It's a great verse. However, the apostle Paul I'm sorry, the apostle John, he goes on to share what happens to those who don't believe that verse. In verse 17, he says, "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's later Jesus is coming back and that's what he's getting ready to do. But right now he's saving the world and he's saving the world through Jesus. Verse 18, anyone who believes in Jesus is not condemned. You're not guilty, but anyone who does not believe you're already condemned. God has already judged you because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. And he goes on to say, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and yet people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who who does evil, they hate the light. They want to stay away from it. They avoid it so that his deeds may not be exposed, but anyone who lives by the truth, they come to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Jesus also confirms what the Old Testament prophesied about him. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The Apostle Paul in the epistles, he writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 5, 6. He says, let no one deceive you with all these empty worldly arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of all of these, these things. Therefore, don't become their partners. You stay away from those guys. And then he reminds us where we came from. This is, isn't this great? He says in verse 8, Remember, you were once darkness. You used to do all those worldly things. But now you are light, and you're light in the Lord. And because you're light, walk as children of light, For the fruit of the light consists of all the goodness and all the righteousness and all the truth. It's a testing that is pleasing to God. So therefore, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness. Don't be stumbling around in the dark, groping around for things you can't see. Don't do that. Instead, expose them. Expose those things for what they are. That's not right. We're not going to put up with this. Verse 12, listen to this. It's shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. The Apostle Peter, he proclaims the the believer's inheritance by using light and darkness as another illustration here in 1 Peter 2:9. He says this: He said, Look, you guys are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Man, you guys are a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you. Here we go again. Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The apostle John, he uses light and darkness concerning our relationship with God. 1 John 1, 5, he says, this is the message that we've heard from him. And we declare to you that God is light. He not only created light, he is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. So if if we say that we have fellowship with God, if we say that, that we're Christians, that we're disciples of Jesus, and yet we walk in the darkness, well, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to God because we're not practicing the truth. He goes on to say, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, so that's God, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And for those of us who do have fellowship with God, because we do believe John 3.16, and we are walking in his light, the last book of the Bible the book of Revelation, it, this is amazing. It makes a full circle back to the physical light, back to Genesis 1.1. This is the last chapter in God's word. Revelation 22, the apostle John writes this. God showed me the river of the water of life. It's clear as crystal. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, and it's bearing 12 kinds of fruit, and it produces fruit every month. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. Guys, there will no longer be any sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And here we go, verse 5. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or even the light of a sun. S-U-N. We don't need the sun anymore. Why? Because the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign with him forever and ever. I love it. Now, that's just a small sample of what Scripture says about the comparison and contrasting light and darkness. So if we go back to our gospel text today, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp. It is the light of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So we understand the first detail, light and darkness. Now we come to the second. We also have to understand what Jesus is referring to, why he made the switch from the heart to the eyes in verses 21 and 22. In verse 21, remember, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. But now he's talking about our eyes. Why would he make that switch? Well, in the gospels, the heart, it represents the core of one's being. Our heart holds our convictions and our attitudes, our agendas, And the eye can have that same sense. It can can have that same purpose or that same point found in Scripture. Psalm 119 demonstrates this comparison beautifully. Look at this starting in verse 10. I have sought you with all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Open my eyes. So that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction, turn my heart to your decrees, not to dishonest profit, and turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life, give me life in your ways. So in other words, there are places in scripture where the terms heart and eyes, they're interchangeable. They're painting the picture with the same brush here. So now that we've got the background, and I know that was quite lengthy, but it was pretty important to understand what God's saying today. We got the background on why Jesus transitions the illustration from our hearts to our eyes. Let's look at verse 22 again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So the eye is the subject matter of of both verses 22 and 23. But keep in mind, the larger context here is that of our earthly treasures. It's about money. It's about all of our stuff from last week. So the first point that Jesus makes is that our eyes impact our our physical body. When our eyes move in a specific direction, the rest of our body follows. Right? You have any golfers? What's the number one rule in golf? Keep your eyes on the ball, right? You, you can't do this. You, you fall over. No, 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 no. You got to keep your head down. This is from a non-golfer, by the way. You got to do something like that. Have you ever been poked in the eye? Have you ever had double vision? Many of us have glasses on this morning. We can relate to what Jesus is saying here. Our eyes are critical to our human bodies. But notice here how Jesus, he emphasizes the singular eye. In verse 22, he says the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, in Jewish culture, the right eye illustrates someone who sees things truly as they are. This man is not perfect, but he's also not double-minded. This man is stable. He doesn't have double vision. The prescription to his glasses, it's not too strong and it's not too weak. He can see what's going on. His priorities are God's priorities. His eye is clear. And he sees sees things normally because of the clarity in his eye. So in other words, there's nothing blocking the light from getting in. Jesus continues here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Lamp. Luke knows in the Greek. Lamp, it, it, just little f- first century lamp, small, real, real small oil-based container, had a, a tiny, tiny wick. And for people in the first century to see at night, they had to protect that lamp, and they had to protect the, whip, the wick specifically. Jesus continues in, in, 20, in verse 22. He says, if... If your I, so if is a conditional statement here, meaning we have a choice. So what Jesus does in this verse, he moves us from the physical side to the spiritual side of things. Physically, it's impossible to walk while looking in two directions simultaneously. Think of somebody walking with their head buried in their phone stumble into things, don't they? And spiritually speaking, remember the the, the context once again, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. So last week Jesus talked about two treasures. Today Jesus talks about two visions. In verse 24, Jesus discusses serving two masters. So in other words, Jesus He wants us to consider how we see things. How do we view the life that he's given to us? There's two ways, God's view and our view, God's way, our way. And if we see things God's way, meaning that we are walking in the Lord's light and we are obedient to his word, then look, he says, your eye is healthy, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, your translation may say, uh, if your eye is sincere, if your eye is clear. Uh, the picture here is your eye unclouded. Uh, the Greek word there is hoplous, And this is really important to understand the whole context of, of today. Understanding Jesus's analogy comes from understanding this Greek term hoplous. It's a term of generosity in verse 22. It's a term of generosity. It carries the sense of being sincere and morally faithful with your finances. Jesus teaches that that we can't understand spiritual truths if we're not generous people. Why is that? Because if we're not generous people, then our treasures, they're all just here on earth. So if your eye is generous financially, your whole life will understand these things spiritually. Jesus says exactly this in Luke 16. He says, if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with what is genuine? The New Living Translation, it's a paraphrase, says it this way. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Answer, not God. He's not going to trust you with that stuff. So key point number one, and this is huge for today. Understanding our finances is a key to understanding spiritual truths. Understanding our finances is a key to understanding spiritual truths. So, if you guys feel like you're stuck spiritually, review your finances, review your calendar. God has just given you a wonderful gift today to look in your rearview mirror and take a look at that stuff. Jesus continues here in verse 23. He says this, but if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, uh uh-oh, how deep is that darkness? Verse 23, this is a terrifying verse. It is terrifying. Notice the singular focus on the other eye. Jesus calls this particular eye the, the evil eye. You know the phrase, I gave them the evil eye? (laughs) I give somebody the stink eye. Um, The Greek term here is ponereos. And it means evil, wicked, or stingy. It means evil, wicked, or stingy. So this wicked eye is a stingy eye financially. The stingy eye is cloudy because it just loves money. It's the eye that makes us financially and spiritually cross eyed. Things in life become blurry with this particular eye because it loves the things that it can't have. And it's filled with all sorts of ungodly lust and desires and and earthly treasures. Now, remember who Jesus is preaching this sermon to this is his disciples. So these, these words, they're, they're not for the world. They're, they're for us. They're for Christians. Because Christians get sideways all the time on their stuff. The Apostle Paul had this problem. He writes to his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.9. He says, Tim, he says, I make every effort to come and see me. I, I want to see you. Why? Because Damas has deserted me. He loved the present world. Now, who's Damas? Philemon tells us that Damas was one of Paul's co workers. Damas was one of Paul's right hand guys. Damas, he just quit the faith. Damas did not finish life well. He fell in love with the present world. Damas. He was able to act like a believer for a short period of time. He even sat at the the apostles' feet. It's amazing. And he, he walked away from all of it. And here's where it gets super scary. In verse 23, if the light within you is darkness, well, how deep is that darkness? So in other words, back to the words of Isaiah, In chapter 5, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. If a person is spiritually blind, then he cannot recognize the true light. It's, It's absolutely impossible. And what's so dangerous about this is that he thinks he does. He thinks he's right. I mean, after all, he's a good person, right? He's a good person. God would be so privileged to have him in heaven. And yet he is so deceived, especially about money, that no one can even talk to this man. He's unteachable because he already has all the answers. And Jesus says, how deep is that kind of darkness? When they think that their eye is good, when it is indeed bad. It is the most dreadful darkness anyone can ever endure. So in other words, truth is processed by the spiritual condition of our eyes. And the way that we handle our money, the, the fruit from that, it proves whether we're, we're a generous person or not. It proves whether our treasures are earthly or heavenly. Now, one of the ways that we know that our, our eyes are healthy, apart from being generous, is the way that we speak. It's what comes out of our mouth. If we store our treasures on earth, we'll not only think and, and worry about money, but that's going to be the focus of our conversations. It's the same as, as, you know, we're watching too much Fox News with our eyes, and we just parrot the latest headlines. And the same, go, same goes with CNN and, and your favorite talk show. See, if you consume with your eyes the the anger of social media, guess what? You too are going to be angry. And most of the time, you don't even know why. If you watch soap operas, daytime television, your life will start to mimic its morality. If you're consuming pornography with your eyes, your entire body, your mind, your mouth becomes so perverted, you're going to wake up one day and not even recognize who you are in the mirror. What Jesus is teaching us here is that we become the product of what we feed ourselves. If we continually feed our bodies Burger King and Dairy Queen on a regular basis... Guess what? Man, we are going to look like the king of burgers, aren't we? We are going to look like the queen of dairy. Remember the days of DOS-based computers? Remember that? There was a a phrase that our teachers taught us in class. Garbage in, garbage out. G-I-G-O. So in other words... You can't put a bag of Cheetos in your mouth and pray that God turns them into carrots on the way down. (laughs) Y'all with me? So in the same way, we do the same thing with our eyes. This is so, so important today. Practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we deal with our evil eye? Answer we got to starve it. We got to starve it. Let's say you have two dogs. One dog is named good eye, the other bad eye. (laughs) You only have enough food to feed one dog per day and you can't split it. And the question becomes, well, which dog are you going to feed? Because the dog that you choose to feed on an ongoing basis, that's the dog that's gonna stay healthy. The dog that you don't choose to feed eventually withers away and he dies. Now, what happens when you try and split the middle? If you choose to feed one dog one day and feed the other dog the next day, you've got two unhealthy dogs. And one day the stronger dog will attack the other dog because his patience has worn out with the the lack of food. Dear friends, no one can do what is right unless he can see what is right. So how's your vision this morning? Are you a little cross-eyed when it comes to your generosity? Are things a bit blurry spiritually? It's amazing that Jesus makes this point in his sermon. Jesus teaches today that your generosity and your spiritual growth are two sides of the same coin. So I want to encourage you to examine yourself, see what kind of spiritual diet that you've been feeding your eyes and a primary way of growing spiritually is to make sure that you guys are feeding the correct dog. All right? Father in heaven, what an amazing text. Thank you so much for teaching us about spiritual vision today. It is so important what we feed our eyes, Lord God, and, and I pray that you would move us a step closer to center, wherever we are. If we're to the left or to the right of your word, that we would come a step closer this week, that you would do some business with us in in what we're watching and what we're doing with our spare time and the way that we're spending our money. And not only that, Lord God, we pray that you would give us the opportunity to speak into somebody's life today in the Verde Valley. That we can give somebody a, a little hope. That you would give us the opportunity to pray for someone who desperately needs prayer. We are a grateful people. You've given us a beautiful place to live. And we do want to leave it better than when we arrived. Please help us do that, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.